problems, my wife is still there with me. I have a good God, not because, and by the way, my wife can't eliminate all my problems. My God can. And you say, well, Pastor Russ, that's the difference. See, you know, people can be good when they stay by your side, but they can't eliminate problems, but God can. Therefore, how can God be good if he lets the bad happen? Because sometimes the bad are other people. Do you really want God eliminating other people? Because keep in mind, when God eliminates other people, where do they go? (laughs) If not to heaven, where do they go? Because God is a good God, not just to you, but even to the wicked. They say, well, I don't like that. I don't like how God is a good God to the wicked. Well, you forget that you were also one wicked one day. And you forget that before you were saved, you were dwelling in your wickedness. And aren't you grateful that God was a good God to you in your wickedness? That God was a good God to you in your unrighteousness? And let me tell you, God is a good God to the world, not just to those who know him and love him. That is why... We know him and love him because he was good to us when we did not know him. And when we did not love him, he was still a good God. God is good. And God is faithful. And God will not abandon you in your worst of times. And that is just one of many reasons why he is so, so good. I had said earlier that we are in the Advent season. For those of you that have been wondering, what does the word Advent mean? I gave you the definition. It is a term referring to the period of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas where Christians celebrate the, the or prepare, excuse me, prepare for the day of celebration of Christ's birth, which of course is referred to as Christmas Day. Now we as a church, Meriden Hills, we've done a lot of things over the years in, during the Advent season. And, and as the church is growing, I've had people asking, can we do this? Can we do that? Inevitably, as there's more people, there's more people that want to do things. And as there's more people that want to do things, we're going to do more things with more people. So this year's Advent season has more packed into the next five weeks than I, in my memory of 10 years we have ever had here at Meriden Hills. I'm not going to say before my time, back in the 90s and 80s, that maybe Meriden Hills was doing more during the Advent season. It's very possible. But definitely not in the last 10 years are we doing more. Now, that may not be a blessing to you. It may be that you have so much going on in your life that you don't need more going on during the Advent season. Well, look, at Meriden Hills, you are not required to attend anything that we do. And I'm not saying that facetiously. I'm, I'm, I'm being being sincere with you. We are offering opportunities for you to enjoy all of what we do here or some of what we do here and add it to your Advent season, the preparation you have from now till Christmas to celebrate the birth of Christ. If you've got so much going on at home, with your work and family. You don't need more. We will miss you. We love you. We hope to see you return when everything calms down again. But if you're looking for more to do or looking to replace some things with what's going on here, we're providing you that opportunity. At the end of the service, I'll give you a breakdown of all the things that we're going to be doing. And then, of course, it's on Facebook. And I believe, Rose, did you print out a, um, a flyer that has the list? And where is that located? For, um, Rose is going to get us a calendar of all the events, uh, and we'll have that for you next Sunday if it's not available yet. So we have, we'll have a list for all the things that are happening, and you'll have it on a piece of paper so you guys can take that home for you and uh, have, it, have it listed for you. So let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to John chapter 3 and verse 16. We're going to be 
looking at different pieces of what is the, 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 I think, the true blessings behind this Advent season, the true blessings of Christmas Day. Over the years, we've done a, a variety of series. We've done a series on the characters in Christmas. We've done more than one of those series, and we looked at different characters each year. And then this year, though, I want to look at uh, the main uh, qualities of the Christmas season. Today, we're starting with love. Now, John 3.16 and you could quote this in your sleep. You could quote it without having to look at your Bible because we grew up memorizing this verse. John three sixteen. what does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whoever, right, anyone, everyone, whoever believes on him should not perish. That word perish referring to eternal perishing, eternal death, eternal hell, eternal judgment, but have everlasting life. And that's how we know that word perish is referring to the eternal judgment because it's a comparison contrast to eternal life referring to eternal blessing. See, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. You're going to spend eternity in some form and you have a choice of whether it's eternal judgment, hell, or eternal blessing, heaven. But you only have that choice because of a good, good God that loves you enough to give you the choice. You see, you don't have the choice because you're a good person. You have a choice because he's a good God. You don't have the choice because you've done good things. You have a choice because he did a good thing, dying on the cross. You don't have a choice because you're holding on to God. You have a choice because when you get saved, he promises to hold on to you. You don't have a choice because you loved God first. You have a choice because he loved you first. You don't have a choice because you pursued God. You have a choice because he pursued you, and you responded to that pursuit. Hopefully, yes. Your choices, all of them, when it comes to eternity are because of God, not because of you, not because of religion, because of God. John 3.16 is the main verse that we're going to be looking at today. But I do want to allude, and I will be discussing and alluding and talking about other verses, other passages as we go through our message this morning. But the title of this morning's message is Love. Love. Bible tells us, Jesus Christ, he says the greatest commandment is to love. He says the second greatest commandment is to love. You say love twice? Yes, because the first one was to love God, and the second one was to love people. Jesus Christ told his disciples that they will know you. Other people will recognize you as followers of God by your love. Not by how you look, but by how you act. Not by how you speak, but what you speak in love. Folks, God says love is the foundation for who we are as followers of Christ. Now, I want to explain something. Love is not necessarily the foundation for your faith, although it did start with love, although the reason we can have faith is because God loved us and offered us a choice. Our faith is based not in our love for God, but in the truth God offered to us in love. All right? Without truth without knowing who Christ is, without knowing what he did. It doesn't matter how much you love a God or any God or the God. That's not going to get you to heaven. You have to have faith in the truth, not faith in your love. But once you're saved, once you've accepted the truth, once you've accepted the cornerstone of your faith, Jesus Christ, now you enter into what is the foundation of your Christian life, love. You say, Pastor Russ, I thought it was faith. No, faith is important. Faith, again, is what leads you to Christ and allows you to be saved. And faith is what's going to get you through some dark times. But faith in what? Faith in that God loves you after you're saved. Faith that God loves you. And faith that reflects your love back to him. 
Because if we are just Christians who believe in a God, but don't reflect his love, who else is going to want to follow that belief? If we as Christians preach a God apart from love, what people, what group, what, what person is going to want to listen to this person you claim is going to save them, but does not love them? Love. Love is the foundation for the Christian life. I see three points in John 3.16. The first one is the message created. The second one is the message accomplished. And the third one is the message offered. The message created, the message accomplished, and the message offered. And all three of these points, the message of what? Well, the gospel message, who was, was sent to us in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gospel message. Jesus Christ accomplished the gospel message. Jesus Christ offers us the gospel message, but he does so in love. He came to us in love. He lived in love, and he offers us salvation in love. Everything he did is bathed in love. And so point number one, the message created. John 3, 16, we're told, again, for God so loved the world. God loved the world. You know, it's interesting to me how so many Christians who are truly saved get uh, caught up in, do people love me? Does the church love me? They will literally walk away from God because they don't feel loved by people. Well, you're not saved by people. You're not sustained by people. You're not going to remain uh, in your salvation state by people. It's by God. Stop interpreting God's goodness through his people. Stop interpreting God's love through his people. God's people are people. They are sinners. They need a Savior just as much as you need a Savior. And let's interpret God's love through his own actions not through the people who claim to represent him. But you know the truth, that's hard. That's hard to separate God from his people. It's hard to separate the actions of God from the actions of his people. And remember how hard that is when you begin to yourself desire to act in ways that do not reflect God because you're going to make it hard now for someone else. Someone else will be confronted with that wall of, I've got to look past this person to get to God because I cannot see God through this person. So are you glass or are you a brick wall? A brick wall that many people will take, will, they'll, they'll get to and turn around and walk away. They don't have the desire or the ability at that time to climb over you, the brick wall, to get to God. Or are you the glass? There's no need to climb over. There's no need to go around. They can see God through you. I want to be the glass. I don't need, I don't want, I don't desire for people to get around me to get to God. I want them to see God clearly in my life. And Christ tells us how that's done. The same way he presented himself to us in love. The message was created by God. I didn't create the message. This church didn't create the message. There's no religion that brought you the message of love. Christ God created the message of love. Letter A, man's need required God's response. For God so loved the world. Why did God love the world? Not because of the world's sake and not because uh, we deserve his love, not because of anything we did. God loves the world because he is a good God most definitely. But keep in mind, God is also the creator. It's a whole lot easier to love the creation when you are the creator. 
you look at your fellow humanity, you say, how could God possibly love that person? Someone else might be thinking the same thing about you. And the truth is, because God created them just like he created you. God loves his creation because God is the creator. On top of the fact that God is just a good God. All right, but God loves. Therefore, when God saw the need, God responded to the need. So we're breaking down how can we reflect Christ this Advent season, right? We're being encouraged by the love God has for us, but let's not stop there. Let's not just stop the day with, man, I walked away feeling encouraged. I walked away feeling comforted, reminded of how good God is and how much he loves me. Let's walk away uh, rubbing off some of those smudges on the glass and say, can when I go into the next four weeks, the next five weeks, can I make sure that when people see me, they're looking through me to God. And so as we see this message this morning, we recognize God saw a need and responded. How many times have you run from a need? How many times have your kids needed you only for you to run, go to work, and say, later, another time? How many times has your spouse tears in their eyes saying, we need to talk, and you're just not ready? You say, no, we'll talk later, another time. You are running. You are not responding. You say, Pastor Russ, that's not me. I never run. I know your problem is you always react. See, we've got runners and we've got reactors. We have very few responders. Runners and reactors cause almost the same amount of damage in two different ways. The runners run and leave the person feeling lonely, depressed, and discouraged. The reactors yell and scream and leave the person feeling lonely, depressed, and discouraged. See, they feel the same way. Both ways, they feel unloved, they feel unhelped, they feel that you've been unkind, whether you ran or reacted. So don't think you're better than the runner because you're the reactor. Neither one reflects God. Be the responder. When you see a need in actions that reflect kindness and patience, in actions that reflect selflessness, and there's many more in 1 Corinthians 13, in those actions, respond to the need of those in your life. You say, Pastor Russ, I see these commercials of kids, and during the, during the holiday season, so many nonprofits saying, give towards this, give towards this. It's a beautiful thing to be part of something bigger than yourself, helping people across the world. I'm not against that. I'm all for that. But there are people in your life who need you, give towards them. There are people in your home, people in your workplace, people in your church who need you, give towards them. If after giving towards those closest to you, you have more to give, well, then broaden your horizon and give out to those you've never met. But my encouragement to you is this. Do not give out before you first have given all in. Everyone in your circle has been covered. Everyone in your closest circle has everything they need from you emotionally, physically, financially. The ones closest to you, they have everything they need, go one step out. The ones that you are acquainted with, they have everything they need, go one step out. Too many Christians are looking across the world and losing sight of their own home. To the shame of pastors everywhere, myself included, because we as spiritual leaders have failed in this. We are so busy giving out, we have lost sight of those closest to us, which is why it's literally become a joke to be a PK, 
pastor's kid. It's a joke because it is a common fact that PKs often are the worst kids in church. Not always, often. In their teen years, in their adult life, often. Why? Because the pastors are not giving and responding in need to those closest to them. The world is going to want your attention this holiday season and say, we need you, and we need money, and we need your time. This Advent, look to your family. Look to those closest to you and respond to their needs. God saw the needs of the world, and God responded. What was his response? Jesus Christ, let her be. God's response has been preached since the beginning. I love this. God didn't wait till Jesus to say, surprise, here you go, guys. Here's, the, here's the, the, the solution to your problem. All this time you needed it, but I've held it back from you. I wanted you to be surprised here at the end. Here he is, Jesus Christ. No, from the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, we find before they even left the garden, God tells them, I will send someone who will crush the head of the serpent. And then we find the patriarchs, Abraham, and God tells Abraham, I'm going to send someone through your line uh, that is going to bless the nations, bless the world. Then we find David, and God gives more information. Then we find the Old Testament prophets, and even more information is given of our Savior. God didn't just respond. Because the response wasn't until ultimately Christ came very far into human history. But until that response came, Christ had, God had been communicating with the world of what he was going to do. God had been preaching from the beginning, I have an answer, I have a solution, trust me. You know, sometimes you can't always do for everyone right now what you want to do for them. Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes that's to be tomorrow. Sometimes next week. You would love to be everything to all people right now. It's not humanly possible. You can reflect God's love in this way. You can say, you know what? I can't be there for you right now. I can't do this for you right now. I have a response, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Patiently wait, and I promise this will happen in this manner. I will be there for you next week. We will talk tomorrow. We will have a conversation tonight. Whatever it is you need to do in your response, it's okay to let people know. I can't now, but here's what I will do later. God chose a later time than the beginning to send Christ. But God did not remain silent from the beginning till Christ. God was constantly involved in the life of his people and the world, reminding them, I have an answer. I have an answer. I have an answer. And his name is Christ. Why would God tell the world of the response yet to come? Because God wanted to give them peace in the meantime. You see, sometimes people, they don't need you to act right away. They just need to know there's a plan, right? Your kids just need to know there's a plan. Your spouse just wants to know there's a plan. <laughs> Are you winging it? Are you just hoping for the best? Or is there a plan? And then can they trust you with the plan? Great thing about God is he has a plan, and you can surely trust him with that plan. He came through with Christ. He had a plan for thousands of years and said, here's my plan, trust me. Here's my plan, trust me. Christ arrives, his plan. And now, after Christ ascended, he says, here's my plan again, trust me. Here's my plan again, trust me. God proved we can trust him with his plan the first time around. We can most definitely trust him the second time around. Are you anxious about the future? 
God has a plan. He has a response. And just like in the Old Testament, he gave his plan. In the New Testament, he also gave us his plan. So we could know he is in control. He does have a plan. We can trust him through it. Do not let the anxiety, the fears of this world control you. Trust God's plan. God loves you. God doesn't want you to live in fear. God wants you to live in love. We're told that love casts out fear. Isn't that funny? You would think it would be faith that would cast out fear, right? Don't you think that if you had faith, fear would be gone? Not necessarily. God says it's love that casts out fear. Very interesting. Our love for God, yes, but more importantly, God's love for us. When we see God's love for us clearly, fear cannot control you. When you understand and embrace God's love for you, fear cannot control you. Letter C, a new beginning will replace the one corrupted by humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word everlasting life referring to a future event. A future event. Obviously, everlasting life begins from the moment you get saved, right? I get that. Because from the moment you're saved, your everlasting life begins. Yes. But that phrase everlasting life is more, uh, I think, directed towards the future life we'll have uh, in heaven more than it is the beginning of it here on earth. Because on earth, I sure don't feel like everlasting life, right? I feel like everlasting death sometimes. Like, I'm, I get really tired. So I feel like that although it did begin when I got saved, I won't truly enjoy or experience it until I go to heaven. That's when it really kicks in for me. And so that's a future event. And so God is saying, I love you, and I have something better planned for you. Folks, God loves you. And what you have now is not as good as what you will have then, because love says, I've got better for you. If you love someone, you don't give them worse than what they've got. You give them better than what they've got. You give them a new beginning. Isn't that beautiful about love? Love offers new beginnings. A lot of families who need a new beginning. You can find that. It doesn't have to be when you die. If you're saved, you will most definitely experience a new beginning when you're dead. But why wait? Why not start now with a new beginning? You and your spouse, you need counseling. Please get counseling. There's no shame in getting counseling. You need to pray together. You need to reconnect together with someone's help on your own, whatever. Find a new beginning now because that's what love provides. With your kids, things are going a wrong direction. You're not connected. You've lost that connection. Establish a new beginning now. I know a man doesn't go to our church, but he says, Russ, every year, he says, I've been doing this for years. My daughter, he has a teenage daughter. He says, my daughter, as she gets older, naturally begins to drift away. That's just the natural way of teenagers. They begin to think they know more. I mean, they, they do know more than when they were eight, hopefully, right? But, but the problem is, as they know more than they're eight, they, they think of you like you're eight now, parents, and they think they know more than you because they think of you as an eight-year-old rather than just themselves as eight years old. And so as they begin to know more 
uh, they begin to make different decisions. And as they begin to make decisions, those decisions don't always uh, fall in line with the way you think or you decide. And so there's a, there's a natural, if you're not careful, a natural drifting away. You cannot uh, expect a natural connection with a teenager. You have to work at that. It doesn't just happen, okay? So if you're a parent and you're saying, I don't understand why my teenager and I are drifting apart. Have you made a purposeful effort to stay connected? You say no. And I, well, that's your problem then. It has to be purposeful. It doesn't just happen. When they were kids, it happened. Yeah, because it's different with children. Five-year-olds and seven-year-olds, there is a natural uh, desire of the child to draw to their parents, and you don't have to really work at that. In fact, you have to work to push a child away because a child will naturally draw to you, almost clinging, right? Some of you remember those clingy days with your five-year-olds and six-year-olds? Like, okay, kid, you know, you're hanging on, literally walk around the house, and, the, and the, your daughter's like, ah, hanging onto your leg and won't let go, right? Those days are gone when they're teen years. Your teenager hopefully is not clinging on your leg. At that point, they probably want a phone or something, okay? So you have to work at connection with teenagers. And the problem is if you're not working at it, there's a drifting. So parents, it's time to start working and provide your teenager a new beginning. Have a conversation. This friend of mine says, Russ, I recognize this about my daughter, has been for some years. And he says, every year, I take my daughter on a vacation, just her. His son is still young. I'm assuming he'll do it when his son is a teenager. He says, every year we go somewhere, whether three days, four days, hiking, we'll go on a road trip, we'll go, we'll go to like a Broadway, whatever, spend a couple days. He says, it's just me and her only, at least once a year, to reconnect. And I thought, wow, what a great idea that he would do this. He's only got two kids. It's a lot easier for him, but you know what? Maybe that's not going to work for you every year, but maybe it's time for you to do it at least once. Maybe it's time for you and your spouse to get away and reconnect. Time for you and your child to get away and reconnect because love says, I have better than what you've got, and I want to be part of that better. God says, I've got better than what you got, and I am most definitely part of that better. That's God, right? God says, now reflect me. Don't give people worse than what they have. Give them better than what they have and be better to them than who they already have. That's love. New beginnings. So the message created. God created the message long before it actually arrived. Long before Christ arrived, the message was already created. Number two, the message accomplished. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him. You know what? I love this. God the Father sent and God the Son went. God accomplished the love, uh, the gospel message of love. God accomplished it in himself. I love how God didn't say, all right, I'm going to fix your problem through Michael uh, the, the angel, Gabriel the angel. They're going to take care of your problem. I'm just going to sit back and just, you know, supervise from up here. God says, you have a problem. I want to respond and I want to be personally involved in fixing this issue you have. That's true love. Not aloof, not disconnected, not far away kind of love. Personally involved, accomplished by God himself love. God the Father sent. God the Son went. And then God the Holy Spirit took over after God the Son returned to heaven. All three persons of the Trinity involved, directly involved in the gospel message of love, salvation. Letter A. No man can do what Christ did. You see, God wasn't going to delegate because God loved. So God's going to be personally involved. But God could not delegate because no man, no angel can do what Christ did. Religion is this idea that man in partnership with God can do. 
You see, because not a lot of religions actually throw God out altogether, otherwise they wouldn't be a religion. There are some belief systems, Scientology and others, that throw God altogether. I don't know I'd call them a religion, because religion includes God in some form or fashion. But a lot of religions say us and God. Together, partners, we, can, we make the dream team. We can make anything happen. We can save ourselves and others, us, with God. No, no, you can't replace God. You're not going to partner with God. No man can do what God did. Only Christ can save. And if you ever find yourself under the preaching of a spiritual leader at any place in any time where man is any way included in the equation of salvation, you just need to walk away. If it's a radio, turn it off. If it's a TV, turn it off. It's not worth your time because no man, no man can do what Christ did. No one can partner with Christ in anything, in any way. Only Christ. Always Christ can save. Only. Letter B. No God has done what Christ did. Notice God, little g, quotation marks. Obviously, there is only one God. I know that. You know that. The problem is the world doesn't know that. You say, Pastor Russ, I mean, literally, do you really think other people believe in other gods? I mean, we don't live in the Greek ages where, you know, uh, Zeus and other gods are believed to have been in existence. Well, you, you're, you're, you're uh, relegating your belief system to just the United States. There are plenty of countries throughout the world who have other belief systems about gods. And they most assuredly, most assuredly believe in a variety of gods, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, very, very prominent in parts of the world, even Islam. Although some came, well, Islam and Christianity believe in the same God. No, just because they have the same name doesn't mean they're the same God. Look at how uh, Allah in the Islam faith is described, and look at how Jehovah, Yahweh in the Bible is described. They're not the same God. Just because they have the same name doesn't mean they're the same God. <laughs> And so no other God can do what Yahweh does, what Yahweh did. No other God of any other religion can accomplish for you what the Bible, what God of the Bible claims to have accomplished and wants to accomplish for you. Do not fool yourself into thinking that as long as we serve a God, we'll all go to heaven. No, no, no. There's only one God. All their gods are false, and all those false gods cannot in any way ever be compared to Yahweh, God of the Bible. Jehovah, Christ the King. Our God is the only God that can save you from your sin. You say, well, Pastor Russ, that seems a little um, offensive. Seems like you're trying to start a fight. No, no, I'm not trying to start a fight. The fight's already been won. I'm just trying to tell you that the fight's already been won, okay? I don't want to start a fight with you. I want to tell you who won the fight. Because here you are trying to join the side of a losing team, and it would be wrong of me and unloving of me to let you join the losing team knowing they've already lost, knowing they're not going to win, and to say, well, you'll be okay joining the losing team. No, I know how that's going to end for you. Join the winning side. God of the Bible is the only God that can save you from your sins. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He didn't send any other prophet Muhammad. He didn't send any other God of Buddhism or, India or Hinduism. He didn't send a man or a woman to, the, to do the work of Christ. He sent Christ, God the Son, to do the work that only God can do on behalf of God for men. Let her see. No thing cannot do what Christ did. No thing. I get it. Nothing cannot do, right? I chose no thing rather than nothing. No thing. You know, some people, I've talked with them. They, I say, how, how do you know you're saved? 
Well, I've been baptized. Well, you realize baptism doesn't save you. Well, yeah, I know. I, I trust Christ as well. I trust Christ too. Well, which one is it? Is it baptism or trusting Christ? It's both. Well, which one, are you, which one do you think saved you? Well, both did. Well, no, both did not. Uh, one did and one didn't. Do you know which one is the right answer? Do you know which one saved you and which one did not save you? How do you, how do you know you're going to heaven, I've asked. And I've had the response of, well, I'm a pretty good person. I, do, I, I, I go to church a lot. I, I give to the church. I do good things for God. Okay, is Christ involved in any way? Yeah, yeah, I also trust Christ. I know about Christ. Okay, so uh, which one saves you? Both save me. I, mean, I, I, I believe that God saves me because I'm a good person. Well, that's not how it works. One saves you and one doesn't. Which one are you trusting in? You see, baptism and good works are a response only to being saved. They are not a factor in our salvation. Our salvation is purely only God himself, no one, nothing else. No thing can outdo what Christ has already done. You can't do anything better. You can't do anything more important. You can't do anything more powerful than what Christ has already done. First of all, because you're you and you're not God. Second of all, because of what you've done, it doesn't compare to what Christ already did. That should be a comfort to you. It's not a competition. It's not a competition between you and Christ. It's not a competition between you and the followers of Christ. It is an acceptance of who Christ is to you and his followers in faith. Accept Christ for who he is. Accept Christ for what he's done. Now that you're saved, now respond to it in love. Number three, we find the message number one created... Even before Christ arrived, God was giving the message, giving hope. Number two, we find the message accomplished in Christ, not his church. In Christ, not in in any other individual. In Christ, not in the actions of people. In Christ. And then number three, the message is now offered and has been offered. Again, part of that message created, God was offering the message even before Christ came, and he's offering the message after Christ came. I have spoken with more than one person. More than one. This seems to be more prominent than I originally thought because I've had this conversation on multiple times of people who are confused about how someone got saved in the Old Testament. You know, there are people, I hope no one in this room, but there are people who believe that people in the Old Testament got saved by following the truth they had revealed to them, which is basically the law. They basically think Old Testament saints got saved by obeying the law because that's all the truth they had. And then now that we're in the New Testament, we get saved by accepting Christ because that's been revealed to us. So in the Old Testament, it was some works-based obedience to the law of salvation. New Testament, faith-based. And I say, what are you talking about? Salvation has always been faith. And they say, well, Christ wasn't alive in the Old Testament. And I say, is he alive now? And they say, no, but we know that he came. And so we can have faith in that he came. And I said, the Old Testament is the same thing on the other side. They knew that he would come and had faith that he would come, all right? So Old Testament salvation was acceptance of the message God offered of hope that God was telling the truth and could be trusted, and we will accept that message of hope in the Messiah, not knowing exactly how it would play out, not knowing exactly how it would look, but knowing there was a Messiah, he would come, and I'm going to trust that future Messiah to save me from my current sins. Just as today, we trust the Messiah that already came, already died for our current sins. The Old Testament looked to Christ. 
The New Testament looks to Christ just from two different ways to the same point. It's always been faith. And the message has always been offered to the world through Christ by faith. Letter A. God's message is offered to the unrighteous. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God doesn't just desire good people to be saved because that would be a short list. And you wouldn't be on it. And neither would I. It's not the good who get saved. Heaven would be a lonely place. The unrighteous are offered salvation. Because all of us are born, we're told, in the curse. We're all born in sin. And God is offering you a way out. That bothers some people. That God would offer the way out? No, that that we'd be born in sin. Well, Pastor Russ, doesn't it bother you that God knows some people would be born in sin, knows that they would reject him, knows that they would go to hell? Why would God create someone he knows is going to hell? That just seems cruel. It goes back to love. You see, if I told my kids, all right, kids, you have a choice. We're going to go somewhere later today. I'm going to give you a choice. You ready? And they say, all right, Dad, great. Where are we going to go? I say, all right, two choices. We can go to Walmart. And my kids are saying, or, and I say, there is no or. It's your choice. We can go to Walmart. Your choice. My kids are like, Dad, that's not a choice. There has to be an or for there to be a choice. Well, but I know the other choice wouldn't be that fun. Well, then it's not just tell us then because it's not a choice. See, God understands better than anyone else how horrible hell is. And God desires deeper than anyone else for no one to go there. But if God didn't give you a choice, then you don't have a choice. And if you don't have choice, you don't have free will. And if you don't have free will, you can't love God. See, there's a connection. If you are forced to love, it's not love. Love is only sincere when you have a choice to love. If God only created people with no choice, then we could never really love God. We're forced. If there was no hell, there is no choice. And if God didn't create people knowing that they would choose hell and only created those knowing they would choose him, is that really a choice? Is God really creating choice? You see, God's answer is not to take away our free will. God's answer is to make the choice easy. That's his answer. And there is no choice, in my opinion, easier than salvation. Think about it. We make it hard. We, humanity, makes it hard. Humanity adds to the choice. Humanity requires more of us, more of each other to be saved. God doesn't. Humanity says, if you don't go to church, are you really saved? Humanity says, if you don't go to church, you were never saved. Humanity says, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Humanity says, religion says, if you're not a good person, hmm, you were never saved. Humanity says, if you stop serving God, you must never have been saved. That's all humanity. God says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God says whoever. And there is nothing else attached to that aside from faith. 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 Accepting God for who he is and what he did. 
for you. That's it. God made it as easy as it could be. That's his response. That's how he responded in love. Some of you, you say, I want to help my kids love me and love God. Oh, boy, you sure do make it hard for them. You really do. You wonder why your kids don't love you. You make it so hard for them to love you. Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Aren't you grateful God makes it so easy for us to trust him? He gives us so many examples of what he's already done, saying, you can trust me. He gives us so many illustrations of his love. You can trust me. If God was the evil, cruel, judgmental God that so many religions claim, it sure would be hard to trust him. That is man tainting what God really is, who God really is. Because when you see the God of the Bible, it is easy to respond to that God. And some of you parents, you're perplexed that your kids don't love you the way you want to be loved. And yet if you're honest with yourself, you're not even sure if you love yourself. There's days you look in the mirror and say, wow, what have I become? <laughs> How can you expect your kids to be better in response to you than you are to yourself? It's time to make it easy for your kids to love you. You say, how can I do that? Follow God's example. Love them. Love them the way God loves you. Make it easy for them. We say, I wish more people would get saved. Make it easy for them. Well, salvation's not easy. Who says? Where are you reading that it's hard? The reason I think a lot of people don't get saved is because God's people have made it harder than it actually is. And we have become harder than we should, and they have no desire to connect with us or God through us. Love the world. I'm not saying love the things that the world does. I'm not saying love their lifestyles or their sin. I'm saying love them. Love them. And make the choice easy. Love your spouse. You say, I wish my spouse would treat me better. Make it easy for him. Make it easy for him. Make it easy for her to treat you better by loving them. Because Advent season ultimately is about love. God sent his son. Why? Because God so loved the world. That's why. Letter B. God's message is offered to the unrepentant. Wait a second. I thought only the repentant got saved. Yes, that is true. Because you can't get saved if you don't repent. What is repentance? Repentance is recognition of an error and seeking to right the wrong. Now, the great thing about salvation is we don't actually right the wrong. When we repent in salvation, we allow God to right the wrong. <laughs> All right? So repentance doesn't necessarily mean that you are doing something different. It just means something different is being done. So before we were saved, we were living in sin. After we were saved, we, get, we, we repent and say, I don't want to live in sin. I don't want to be, I don't want to be uh, uh, in, in sat saturated by sin. I don't want to be uh, destroyed by sin. So something different is going to be done. I'm going to let God be the different thing in my life. I'm going to choose the different God rather than choosing self-destruction. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect. doesn't mean you'll only make good choices. It just means you chose God 
in salvation, through salvation, in faith. It means you chose God. That's repentance. There are other forms of repentance, and it plays out differently depending on what it is. If you're lying, to repent of lying would now be to tell the truth. If you are cruel and unkind, repentance would that be, be, would be to be kind. But repentance, God offers the message to all, even those who don't repent. The message is still available to them. Stop cherry picking. What does that mean? You ever been uh, picking apples or fruit picking? And I know that uh, if you have done it, human nature is to only get the best. You don't choose the fruit that looks beat up, has brown on it. Why would you do that? You're paying for this stuff, right? So you're choosing the best fruit. You know what? God doesn't do that. God doesn't walk in the orchard and only choose the best-looking apples and put them in his basket and say, I don't like you. You're ugly. I'm going to leave that there. You look, you look like you've already been through a lot, not interested in helping you. I don't like this one. He only chooses the best. No, God chooses all. You say, does that mean all get saved? No, just because God chose you doesn't mean you're saved. Again, there's choice. God did his part. He chose you. He sent the message. He provided the message. He accomplished the message. He's offering the message. God chose you. Your only part is to respond in faith. That's it. That's the only part you got. Respond in faith. God's already done his part. He's already chosen you. God chose all the apples, even the unrepentant ones, and now they have to decide to choose God or not. The great thing about the unrepentant is just because you're unrepentant today doesn't mean you won't be tomorrow. You won't be something different tomorrow. There was a time in my life where I was unrepentant for years, and then I wasn't. So don't lose hope for those who are unrepentant. God has chosen them. God loves them. God is offering them the message of love, the gospel. Pray that someday they will be repentant. Let her see, and we're done. God's message is offered to the unreached. This bothers a lot of people, this idea that some would be born, never hear the gospel, die and go to hell. The Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. God has not forgotten the unreached. God has sent to the unreached a basic level of truth that he exists. You say, Pastor Russ, someone can't get saved by knowing there is a creator. You're right, but it's a start. When I look at the Bible, I see people who recognize there is something more than them, and God sends them more truth. I see that also in our current history. I've heard enough stories from missionaries. I've read enough biographies from missionaries who claim I arrived, and the people said, in this tribe, in this third world country, or wherever it might have been, you know, we, we knew what we believed was wrong. We didn't know there was what was right. We've been praying to a God, not knowing who he was, saying, if you are out there, send someone, and here you came. God offers the message to the unreached. My question to you, are you included in that? You say, Pastor Russ, I'm not moving. I mean, you know, God has not put in my heart a desire to go to Asia, to go to South America, to, to go anywhere in the world other than here. That's fine. Did you know there's unreached people here in Meriden? I, I'm going to end with this story. I will never forget. I was in college, and I actually went to college as a major for missions. I fully intended, fully, to go overseas. I've told you before. My story with my wife before we got married, I said, Amy, I, I, I love you. I want to marry you before we were even engaged. I, I wasn't going to date the girl if I wasn't going to marry her, in my opinion, so I already knew I was going to marry her. But I said, we can't go any further in this relationship if you aren't willing to go wherever God wants because I believe God's calling me somewhere outside of the United States. And after crying and praying and thinking, she said, I'll go wherever God sends us. So that was, that was good. That was the right answer. We got married. But I'll tell you, um, <laughs> but... There was 
a summer where I was actually interning at a church, believe it or not, here in Connecticut. There was one summer for three months between college. It was my, between my sophomore and junior years that I interned at a, a church in Connecticut. And um, this was like 20 years ago. I was up here, a 19-year-old guy. And I was working with a pastor. It was a small church of like 30 people. And he took me during the summer to New York City. I'd never been. I'm from California. Never been to New York City before in my life. So we went for the day. And uh, we were on the, the ferry over to the Statue of Liberty. And on the ferry, there was a young guy, probably low 20s. I was 19. He's probably 21, 22, maybe a couple years older. He was at the, the tip of the ferry by himself, kind of just hanging, looking at the railing, hanging on the rail, looking over the side. I walked up to him, introduced myself. I said, hey, I'm from California. Never been to New York City before. You're from the area. He said, yeah. We started talking. I said, you know, look, I'm actually uh, um, uh, 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 up here for the summer working with the church. I'm just curious. You go to church? He said, no. I said, you ever uh, heard about Christ before? How to be saved? He said, no, never have. I was shocked. 19. I thought, here we are, New York City, America. And this man has never heard of Christ. I'm not shocked now. At 39, I was shocked at 19. And it dawned on me. I don't have to go anywhere else to be available to the unreached. I didn't make my decision then to go to Connecticut. I had no clue until I was about 29. Ten years ago, God brought me back to Connecticut. I didn't have a desire to, didn't have a plan to, but at that point, I said, God, wherever you want, I'll go. It doesn't have to just be overseas. I'll go wherever. Just send me where people need, need to hear. That's where I want to be. If they need to hear, I want to be there. God brought me to Connecticut. Here I am. The unreached are not just afar. The unreached are near. People you work with. You ever heard about Christ? Not really. You heard about Christ? Yeah, I heard about Christ. All bad stuff. They haven't heard the real truth of Christ. They're unreached. God offers them the message. Could it be he's offering it to them through you? Are you willing to bring it? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your people. Thank you for the chance to look in your word again. 